Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> doesn't love a good mystery. It just so happens Ohio is full of them, and we've got a good one tonight. So throw another log on the fire and settle in, campers. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, an avid mystery connoisseur myself. And with me is our award-winning journalist, Paula Schleiss, who spent 30 years at the Akron Beacon Journal researching and sharing these kinds of stories. Hey, everybody. I am so excited about our podcast, Steve. I've spent my whole life telling stories, and who doesn't love a good mystery? Oh, man, I, I sure do. And we promise we're going to have a diverse lineup of stories, from true crime to local legends. I hear you researched a real heartbreaker to start a softball. Uh, yeah, when we decided to do Ohio Mysteries, this was the one I really wanted to do. And I know it intrigued you enough that you wanted to kick off the series with this one. And it's the 1962 murder of 12-year-old Marion Brew Baker. Um, now, this isn't a story I would have recalled or paid attention to myself. I was only two years old at the time. But I learned of it because every time I drove past Main Street and Killian Road in Coventry Township, that's just south of Akron, uh, and my brother Tom was in the car with me, he would blurt out, Hello, Marion. So one day I asked him why he had this strange little routine, and he told me he could never forget that a little girl was killed while riding her bike through those woods. And it was something that stuck with him because he, she was the same age as, as Tom. So, Steve, did you ever have a murder stand out that way from your youth, a youngster about your age who was killed and made you realize for the first time in your innocent existence that such a thing could happen? Well, I'm going to bring up something that, you know, uh, everybody around here remembers. Uh, Amy Mahalovic, she was only three years younger than oh, I was, yeah, you know, classic. and she, uh, she that's, that case has still never been solved, but... You know, like I said, she was born in 1978, you know, and just a few years younger than I was. So, yeah, that was uh, that was something that definitely hit me. So what about you? Well, for me, it was 1971, and I was 11 years old, and I'll never forget the murder of these two nine-year-old girls in Akron. Their names were Lorna Ritz and Lori Crow, and they were third graders at Bettis Elementary, and they were together and going door to door collecting litter, some kind of litter for a school project. And they went to the home of a guy that lived across the street from one of them. And this is straight out of a movie. I mean, the guy turns out to be a raving lunatic. Oh, wow. He, he invites them in to get some trash. And he would later tell police he was cooking steak 
and he picked up the kitchen knife to cut the steak, and then he turned on the girls. And they ran screaming, he chased them into the basement, and he stabbed them to death. And their bodies were found the next day in a roadside ditch in, in Brimfield Township. Hmm. That's horrible. Man, just like that. I mean, my young psyche was stunned. I can still remember their images on the front page, uh, how I studied their faces, realizing they weren't all that different from me. This was something that could have happened to me, and oh. it was horrifying. And, you know, after a career that brought me close to all kinds of gruesome crimes, none ever affected me quite the same as the murder of those two girls. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So, you know, I understood why my brother could never forget Marion and why he felt uh, this connection each time he passed the site of her death. So let me tell you about Marion. Okay. And, you know, I'm, I, I know you know a lot about Marion. You've done some reading and investigating yourself. So chip in if you, you think I'm forgetting something important. Sure, sure. So it's uh, the end of summer vacation, and she's just a couple of days away from starting the seventh grade. She's one of four sisters, the daughter of a minister. She... Clearly loved music. She wanted to be a piano teacher, and the night before her death, she performed a duet with one of her sisters at their church. Uh, she also loved to read, and I'm going to guess she was pretty independent. As a matter of fact, on August 27, 1962, she had ridden her bike all the way to the Portage Lakes Library on Manchester Road from her home. What do, what do you think? That's a few miles, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's about three miles, and um, yeah, this is not the first time she would do this either. She's yeah. done this a couple of times that summer, according yeah. to her father. I mean, that's quite a distance for a kid oh, yeah. of 12. I, I don't think I would let my 12-year-old ride there. But, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a different I, age, different time. Well, know? it was, although I'll tell you, going through some of these clippings, I'm shocked at how right. many kids were snatched and killed Be, in those days. Because I live, you know, just probably about four blocks from where Marion lived. So, oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I, I live really close. Oh, yeah. So and this, I drive by where her house was. I mean, it's uh, an empty lot now, but... You're, yeah, so this story's got to hit home to you oh, just yeah. from the, the location. Yeah, I mean, so. I think they said that she was going to go to Lakeview, and that's where I went to elementary school. Did you? Yes. No, I didn't know that. I did. I went oh, to elementary school there. She did go to Lakeview. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, she's she's traveling at least three miles from home, and, you know, the, it was certainly more rural back then. It was It was a township, but still, these were the main routes through town, so there were busy streets, very visible. Um, so she gets to the library, she picks out four books for herself, and I love the details of Eddie's story, so I have to share the titles. They're, okay, let's they're all it. They're all teen stories. Um, Princess in Denim. Princess in Denim. Travel in Titan. I don't know what that is. I have no, to look, have that, to look that, that one up. That does sound interesting. Is Titan like, isn't that a moon on one of the planets? Titan Maybe. is the moon. Oh, man, I'm going to get some feedback from the listeners. But yeah. I'm going I'm to say it is a moon of Saturn. Okay, let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if it is because one of the other books was Secrets of the Martian Moon. So mm. maybe she was really interested in that kind of stuff. The, well, the Martian moon is Phoebus or Phobius, one of those. Yeah, okay. Not Titan. Yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> what he said. There's two of them. And, uh, the, and the fourth book was Sue Barton Visiting. So she gets these books. She makes a brief stop at a store to pick up a, a greeting card that was requested by her mom, and she starts heading back home. Um, and like you said, it's a trip she's made before, and her routine always included, included using a shortcut through some woods next to a farm at Killian in Maine. 
And it was, it was just a small path that cut off the corner where Maine and Killian met, but it would drop her off further down Killian, almost within sight of her house. And so on this day, uh, Marianne goes into the woods, uh, but she doesn't make it back out. Mm. Uh, inside those woods, Marianne meets someone. Uh, he strikes her on the head, possibly with a, a bottle that was found. He grabs one of her arms and one of her legs and drags her face down through the brush off the main trail. Uh, she's still alive at this time because she's breathing in the dirt so from the ground. So they find the dirt in her lungs? They do, okay. exactly. And uh, now she might have been unconscious. Um, and so we don't know what order these next things happen, but we know this. Marion is strangled to death. Her shirt and bra are pulled up to her neck. Her underwear and plaid shorts are removed and placed over her still open eyes. Her sneakers and socks are pulled off and placed in a neat pile next to her feet. Um, the glasses that she was wearing are on the ground, broken. Uh, a bit away, about 30 feet away from her body, her bike is lying beneath an apple tree, and the library books are scattered in the grass. So she is discovered just a few minutes after all of this happens by a 15-year-old boy who is walking through the woods. Now, the boy will tell the Summit County Sheriff's Office that he found the bike first, he left the woods, made eye contact with a farmer on a tractor who was working in the adjacent field. Then he returned to the woods, spotted Marion's lifeless body, and raced home to tell his father, who then called the Summit County Sheriff's Office. So this, um, the, this uh, farm that the tractor was on is directly behind the woods. The woods are not, um, they're more you know, long north and south than they are east to west. Right. So the west of the, um, you know, the backside of those woods, if you're facing, you know, uh, main, well, if you're on, you know, going towards Killian, you can see that the woods, you know, the field is just right beyond the woods. So, and it's a huge plot of land. And, you know, it's still farmed, isn't it? It is still farmed to yeah. this day. And um, as a matter of fact, I saw a tractor on there the other day. Yeah. And uh, if that tractor was... On the other side of the field, there's no way they'd have made eye contact attack. So obviously that tractor was pretty close. Yeah. yeah it's, you know, because the woods exist, the path exists, and that field still exists 55 years later. Um, it, it's interesting going out there and kind of envisioning how this could have happened. Right. And you can start to form your own opinions, and we will later on. Oh, yeah, As to how you, what you think might have happened. Right. So, um... So the, the boy's father calls the deputies and uh, who, after various scene recreations and witness accounts, they determined later that they were standing over Marion a mere 40 minutes after her death. Mere 40 minutes. Mere 40 minutes. Wow. Boom, they're there. So much about this story to this point is, just chills me. I mean, if she could made it out of the woods, she only needed a ride to the very next street to be home. And every time I hear of someone killed so close to home, part of me is like, ah, you poor thing, you almost made it. Right. And I was thinking of that when I even read a quote from her father in the newspaper saying she was almost out of the woods, which frankly sounds like a book title for this story. Right. So also, this happened right in the middle of the day. You know, she wasn't out after dark or going through a bad neighborhood. I, I mean, I know murder can happen any time of the day. Yeah, but I mean, this happened at 3-something. 3.30 on a Monday. If I had to pick an hour in a day when I would least expect to be murdered, 
It would be through 3.30 p.m. on a right. Monday. Right, yeah, absolutely. You know, so you had to know she just felt perfectly safe, right. you know, going through those woods. You know, and that's something that all the kids did is go through those shortcuts. And right. Her father said she had permission. She was allowed to go through there. Yeah, yeah. It was popular among the local kids and, and well-traveled. And you know, like you said, people probably just really didn't worry about that kind of thing back right. then. And then the other thing that really jumps out at me is, damn it, deputies could not have had a fresher crime scene. I mean, her body was still warm when they found her. Surely they can solve this. There was no rain to wash away evidence, no decomp to hide the way she was killed. The drag marks are on the ground in stark relief. How can this crime not be solved? Right. I mean, uh, what, what are some of the mistakes they made here? Um, Well, you know what? I'm going to get to that because there's a very uh, interesting thing that happens that reveals what those mistakes are. Oh, okay. So let me me go chronologically and and get to that. Sounds awesome. Um, But so two weeks after this incident happens, the detectives uh, talk to a reporter at the the Akron Beacon Journal, and they've got a theory. Um, They're starting to put together a suspect profile, even though they don't have a name. And they, they, they say, you know, this, this killer acted on impulse. This was a crime of opportunity. Um, they reported finding a girly magazine on another trail in those same woods. So could a killer have been getting himself worked up and preparing in, in some way? Um, the coroner finds no specific evidence that Marion was sexually assaulted, but the state of her clothes certainly suggests that was a motivation. Yeah, that was something that was going to happen. If it didn't... Yeah, whether it was completed or not, we don't know for sure, but it seems to be a motivation. And they also believe Marianne probably had no time to react or resist or scream. She was likely unconscious after that first blow. Um, They also believe strongly that the killer was familiar with the neighborhood. He was a complete stranger, was not a complete stranger. They believe that, you know, she didn't you know, scream because there was actually people around, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if the farmer would have heard over the tractor. I think I read somewhere that there were people on the street. Nearby? Nearby. Okay. That's what I heard. All right. So it had to be some, like a big blow, you know. Well, even today there are some businesses right across that street, so there could have been something right there, you know, back then. Right. and so they, they really felt kind of strongly that the killer was somebody who lived in the area. Um, and then they really believed that whoever killed her had a really strong sense of guilt because uh, that there was attributed to the fact that Marion's clothes were placed over her eyes, which were open. And uh, the idea being that he couldn't, you know, face what he had done. So from day one, the police did have a person of interest, though they didn't use that term back then. So, I'll give you one guess who it was. Uh, the boy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> give that the man boy. a something, a cookie. <laughs> yeah, so let me tell you about this kid. He's a ninth grader at Irwin Middle School. Okay. And he lives across the street. He lives across Main Street. So okay. he's familiar with the woods, lives right there. So when he ran home to tell his dad, he didn't have to go far right. to get his dad. Um, So still, detectives think it's just too coincidental that this boy would happen upon Marion's body right after she's killed. And this kid, he's not helping his case. When he meets with detectives, he's wearing a shirt that's torn, his zipper is open, there are scratches on his skin. Um, So there's there's something very strange going on here. Um, So the detectives, they give him a, a lie detector test. 
uh, and they end up letting him go. Um, so one would assume he passed the line. One would assume right. that he had passed it because, right. you know, okay, he's hey, they're done go. with him. Right. So they don't find another suspect for a year and a half. This case just kind of grows cold, though they're still working it. And a year and a half later, March of 1964, um, they go and arrest this uh, 49-year-old itinerant by the name of William Lewis, who's from Hubbard, Ohio. He comes into town to visit a family member. And some people are, I don't know, they're putting two and two together and thinking, he seems strange, and he maybe knows this area. So maybe you need to go pick him up. Um, so he undergoes two days of intense questioning. And at first, Lewis denies knowing anything. But on the second day, he starts confessing. So he goes as far as to tell detectives that he'd prayed over the matter the night before. God told him to tell the truth. So he recounted the story of how he bludgeoned and strangled Marion before running off. Hmm. And uh, after his confession, he told the interrogators, you were right. I feel much better now. Hmm. So, you know, Steve, it, it's such a straight... Do you all, I mean, you've heard of people falsely confessing to things before. I it's, have. I, it's hard to get into that mindset. Yeah, usually, you know, some of the false confessions happened, uh, you know, just sometimes the way this, you know, the police will stare, you know, so... Apparently, they can have immense power over your mind right. when you're tired and you're hungry and you want to go home. I think it, it just seems like sometimes something happens to you. There's right. a switch that gets flipped. You know, and then you're thinking, well, they they probably had that kid, you know, in the same the same way, you know, trying to get a confession out of him too. But he did not crack. He didn't crack. If he was guilty, he never cracked. I think they said that he was alone with them for, you know, a couple hours. A more than that, oh, because wow. there was a point where they even took him to the juvie detention center for the night. Oh, wow. And that kid never, never cracked if, if he was crack. I mean, if there was something to crack about, he didn't. Right. So, so Lewis, you know, he's taken to the site. Uh, of, of Marion's death. He directs detectives to where Marion's body was. He even lays down to show her position. He gives them all kinds of specific details. The problem is every detail, even the location in the woods and the way her body was laying, had already been reported to the press. So yeah. there's nothing independently that they can verify that he knows that nobody else wouldn't know. Okay. So, so he's arrested. A month later, he's taken to the Lima State Hospital and doctors declare him, ta-da, insane. Insane. So, you know, I, I could not find an article that definitively, definitively explained when he stopped being a suspect, but at some point over the next year, interest in him as a suspect dissolves. Well, um, you know, obviously we don't know every little detail, you know, especially it, it's not a closed case. It's still open to this day. Yeah. So there's yeah. stuff that, you know, they, they, they don't let us know. But I would also say that this gentleman was also reported to be illiterate. So he didn't read all this stuff in a newspaper. Somebody had to have told him if he was innocent. Well, you make a really good point. And if this guy's from Hubbard, why is he so interested in, you know, knowing all the details of this case back in Akron? Although, I will say... I've seen cases where, you know, police are interrogating you, giving you facts that you didn't have. 
That's probably Come on, what happened. Didn't you hit her? You know, didn't yeah. you hit her with a bottle? Didn't you, know, you put clothes? When did you put the clothes over her? When did you, you know? put when the clothes over her eyes? When did you fold her socks? Yeah. Or so it's yeah. so hard to know. But you made a very good point that the case is not closed, and this became very evident in 2014, just four years ago, 52 years after Marion's murder. Deputies get permission to exhume her body and run it through some modern-day technology, including DNA testing. And they even found that 15-year-old kid. He was 67 years old then, and they re-interviewed him. And, you know, he never left the Akron area. He was never charged with a crime in his life. Apparently, he led a very law-abiding life. Um, but they found him, and um, the, the thing about this 2014 story that really intrigues me is because I was a reporter at the Akron Beacon Journal when it was going on. I was not right. the reporter on the case. But the, the reporter at the Beacon who goes to write this story about the exhumation uh, goes uh, back to the paper's morgue. Now, morgue is the name of, the, of a newspaper archives and where for decades, newspaper librarians, they dutifully clip Every article and every edition. This is pre-internet, pre-digital media. I didn't know that, that was a term either. Morgue. Oh, the hmm. morgue. The morgue. Oh. And they clip every article and every edition. They cross-file them by names, by cities, by subjects. So reporters who are researching can go back and pull these envelopes out. And I, I frequented the Beacon's morgue often when researching stories. And I can tell you, I never came across a reporter's notes slipped into the clipping envelopes. But that's what happened in this case. In 2014, wow. the reporter goes back, pulls the Marianne Boo Baker file, and from 1962, carefully typed notes from the reporter. No way. It, it's, wow. Yeah. That's probably, that's unheard of because you said you never, no. never seen anything like that before. No, I've never bothered to put my notes in the morgue. So these notes are marked confidential for staff only. And, you know, it, it seemed to be that the reporter's attempt to preserve some unpublished insights into the crime. He didn't want them to be lost when he was gone. And so here's what the notes revealed. Um, the boy was always the number one suspect. Okay. Um, but nobody thought there was enough evidence to convict him in court, and he never said anything during the interrogation that tripped him up enough to be worthy of arrest. Okay. Now, the, the note said the boy had changed his story multiple times, including whether or not he had ever seen Marion. Well, that's a trip up. So, well, yeah, but you can't get thrown in jail for saying, uh, you know, I knew Steve, and then the next time I say, okay, I didn't know Steve. Yeah, you um, can't throw somebody yeah. in jail for that, yeah. you know? And, um, and the other interesting thing was uh, the reporter revealed that the Akron police had thought the sheriff's office had completely botched the case. They said that the, the deputies never roped off the crime scene. Uh, they didn't call the coroner to the site. Uh, and they didn't take advantage of the FBI's crime lab. These are inexperienced sheriffs. I don't think there was uh, crimes like that. I mean, I've researched it. There wasn't crimes like that during that time. You'd think they would have said, you know what, this is a little over our heads. Yeah, it, it, it's... It could be. It sounded like Akron really wanted to get involved in this case, and they were being rebuffed um, by the sheriff's detectives who wanted to do it on their own. Um, but, you know, it just really, 
like I keep going back to that fresh crime scene. Here's the body. It was just killed. How can you not solve this crime? Everything's right there. And, you know, oh, oh the other thing that was interesting um, was the reporter learned from the detective that he interviewed in 2014 that that 15-year-old boy, he didn't take just one polygraph. He took three, and he did not pass them. He failed them all. Wow. Yeah. And then... Um, that also, was never let out in the original. I couldn't find any news clippings that, that revealed that at the wow. time. and I, So I don't know why. It's possible the detectives didn't share that. Maybe he was a minor and so, you can't share that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Um, they also said the farmer had seen the boy leave the woods, wipe his brow, make eye contact with him, and then go back into the woods. So... There's, there's a theory now forming about maybe what had happened if this boy was responsible. Detectives said there was a siren in the area at the time of Marion's death. So one theory is that the boy was maybe reading that girly magazine. Along comes Marion. He uh, is, assaults her physically, prepares to perhaps sexually assault her, hears the siren, Runs out of the woods, thinking they're coming for oh, him. No, here they come. Spots the farmer. The farmer sees him, so he's got to run back into the woods, and then decides, "Oh, I better run home and just report that I found this dead body." And you know, it it sounds like a perfectly good theory to me, though it's you know unprovable without a confession. Um, but the idea of it, you know, seems I don't know. What do you think? Well, um, I think. Um I think it's uh, I think it's tough. There's so many things you have to take in consideration. You know, uh, the boy, uh, the boy, he's lived a lawful life. He's never been in trouble with the law since. Kind of weird, you know. know Do yeah, something you, like that. Can you have it in you to kill someone and then never commit another crime? I mean, I think that's a very rare thing you know did that really shake him that much you know to where he ended up being a law-abiding citizen i mean that's kind of it's kind of odd now you told me that you had seen a news clipping where detectives had said the bike and the crime scene in general had been wiped down correct the, to be they said they were wiped down now um you know that's when you say okay this boy can wipe down a scene in between all of that siren and you know, being scared off and he can't remember to zip up a zipper or yeah. change his shirt. You know? And this was not the time this was not the day that CSI was on TV right. and everybody knew, you know, at the age by yeah, the age of fifteen what forensics meant. Right. You I know? mean I have a I have a, a daughter turning twelve tomorrow and uh, that's Marion's age, you know, and I have a fifteen year old son, you know. So Oh wow. Um, you know, to think about I, I just, it's hard to believe that a 15-year-old would do this. But then again, you know, I, there's been stories of 15-year-olds doing even worse than this. So, And, you know, I'm not 100% ready to give up on that peddler. I mean, they never really explain. You can be insane and still be a killer, which kind of actually maybe you're more likely to be a killer right. if you're insane. They never explain why they gave up on him that I could find. I would I love to know, you know, what his history was. I heard that he was in a mental institution before and after. 
Yeah. So. So clearly he had issues going on. But, you know, according to this reporter, he was never, he was not taken seriously. It was this kid was the one they wanted. Right. And, and I think her father said it would take her normally a couple of hours to do the whole thing. To yeah, the trip to and get back. to the library and back. So if she was attacked at 1 or 3.30, then she would have had to leave around 1.30. And then, um, you know, she ended up just, well, maybe he didn't know, but she was actually going to a drugstore after that to buy a gift card, or not, yeah. gift, not a gift card, but a card for her mom. Yeah, so, card. you know, she's going from, you know, a couple, few miles away and then driving and, I mean, going down on her bike another mile to yeah. Coventry Plaza. Right. And then back home. So, you know, maybe she left a little bit before that. But and why did those times bother you? Because the boy... Just, just because the boy said he was in the woods at 3.30, and if her mom said that she left at... Her mom said that she left at 2. So it's kind of hard to believe that. I mean, it, obviously, they. I believe you said that the police officer had his daughter ride that route. Right, you know? right. Yeah, one of the detectives put his daughter on a bike and had her recreate everything Marion did that day, which, you know what, would have to be really spooky for me if I were a kid and my dad said, we're going to pretend you're a murder victim. Right. Oh, man. And I, I think, think I, I right about that, that, right? Her mom said she left at 2 o'clock. Is that true? Or was you know, I wrong about that? Maybe, I, I, maybe the, it was a specific time. The hours are, in the very first story ever written about this, the librarian said she checked out her books sometime between 2 and 3. And that's right. I remember her mom did say she left at 2 o'clock, and I thought when the librarian said that, that she had to be wrong because yeah. her mom said she left at 2. Right. Which would take her about 20 minutes to get to the library. So, you're, you know, you're, you're, if she left at 2 o'clock, the only reason why the timeline bothers me a little bit is because, and like I said, it's just a little bit, is because she's going to the library, she's taking her time, you know, looking at books, you know. I mean, she's picking up, you know, a few of them. Right. And then she's leaving the library, she said, um, around, um, I forget, I think she said around 3. Yeah. So then she's going to leave the library around 3 o'clock and then head down towards Coventry Plaza, which is not that close on a bike. It's a good, you know, mile and a half maybe down there. So she goes into the drugstore. I think it was called Scott's. Yeah. She goes in the drugstore, and now she's going to get a, you know, a, a thank you card for her mom. You know, her mom asked her to stop by and get a card for him. Right. And then she's going to, you know, bike all the way up. And let me tell you something. I've, uh, I've dri- I drive up that hill every day, a portage path. That's a, that's a heck of a hill. I'm getting out of my bike, and I'm walking some of that, you know. Yeah. So that's the only reason why the timeline kind of bothers me. Okay. But then again, you know, you're a mom. You're busy. You're doing, you know, not only is, you know, her mom, you know, the mom of the house, but she's actually helping out at the church, too. So she has a lot of stuff she's doing. She could have got the time a little wrong, I think. That's all. Yeah. That, that's the only reason. So if, if, uh, if the times were uh, rock solid, the issue you're trying, the, the point you're trying to make is that boy could not have been in the woods at the Correct. time she was killed. Correct. So. So, yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, th- I, I don't think we're any closer to solving this now than we were a half century ago. If, if the sheriff's department found out anything after exhuming that body, they haven't revealed it. And they haven't, so you haven't found anything. I haven't found no. anything about what, you know, what 
what happened. They have not reported it. So, you know, unless the killer has a change of heart or decides to give a, a deathbed confession, I, you know, this one might never get solved. Right. I mean, they would, I think this this uh, boy who was 15 is in his 70s now. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if um, that'll ever get solved. But then again, I think about... Uh, the Golden State Killer, you know, look how many years that went by. They never thought that would get solved, and that's true. Maybe somebody out there, you know, throw up something on a genealogy <laughs> website, and there you go. You're Absolutely, busted. you know what? It's happening more and more. Yeah. Technology is amazing at how it's resolving some really long cases. We're going to be doing more on this series on some how DNA has solved some super old yeah. cold cases, and when I see them, I'm like. You know, it can't be too old and be impossible to solve. So. Right. You know, I look at, you know, some of this evidence like um, the scratches, you know. Well, you know, I mean, it's just so frustrating. You know, the body's that fresh. You're not finding anything under her fingernails. I know that they said that she bit her fingernails or something. She kept them really short. But yeah. if you're scratching to draw blood, there's got to be something there, you know. Right. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why they exhumed her body well and if their theory was that the first blow knocked her out and she didn't resist then what would, would have caused the scratches on the kid if she'd never regained consciousness which is what their theory was right. something else had to have caused those scratches it wasn't her so maybe he just got the scratches walking through the woods I, or yeah doing I mean, boy if stuff you're in the woods you're going to get scratches so. and i believe the prosecutor even said that he thought at the end, the boy was innocent, and he was kind of frustrated that, you know, the scope wasn't a little bit larger. Right. But then you're talking about, you know, this stuff that you just feel like we're, you know, so incompetent from the, you know, sheriff, you know? Uh, I mean, yeah. it's almost like if everything's wiped down and, you know, that boy didn't wipe down all that, you know, the fingerprints and stuff. I'm not saying that there's a cover-up, but, you know, what if they, what if it was somebody they knew? I, I don't know. I just... Yeah, or they were making decisions trying to cover up for the fact that they, it they was just a debacle. So yeah, they messed up so bad. Yeah, and you then you, you just don't get at the truth then. Yeah, it, like it I said, it you know it hits close to me. I have somebody. I have a, I have a daughter turning twelve. You know, I have an eleven-year-old daughter as well, and you know it's, it's kind of frustrating that you know all of it was there, and yeah. now it's not. You know, there was another little detail that just brought chills to me. And when you mentioned that you've got a 12-year-old daughter now, I, the the family found out because the, the detectives arrive. They find her still warm body. They find her library card so they know where she lives. So they take her library card to her house, knock on the door. The dad comes to the door, and they have to present the library card and say, is this your daughter? As a father, you know, how do you even keep standing at that point? Oh, I, I know. mean, you've got to know what's coming. Yes, I mean, they, a police officer shows up with a picture of your daughter, you know, a library card of your daughter. Where is my daughter? And why do you have her library card? Why do you have her library card? Oh. It's devastating. Well, her her parents are, are dead now. Uh, she has a sister that's still alive in California, or at least was in 2014 when a reporter tried to reach her. Um, but more and more the principals in this case are, are dying off themselves, and this may just go into the annals of Ohio lore as a, a mystery that will always remain a mystery.
That's it for now. Be sure to visit our website at ohiomysteries.com where we have our photos, news clippings, videos, links associated with each and every episode. And if you like our podcast, there are a few ways you could support us. First and foremost, please tell your friends and family about us. You can also visit our Facebook page and like us. Share our link on your own Facebook as well. And follow us on Twitter. On our website, you'll also find links to our Patreon page, where you can send a little spare change our way. Or go directly to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for Ohio Mysteries. For a donation as small as a dollar a month, we'll give you a personal shout-out on a future podcast, as well as our heartfelt thanks. And there are special perks for other tiers on our Patreon. Steve, nobody likes to ask for money, especially us. These podcasts are truly a labor of love. But until we land that major national sponsor, every little bit will help pay the expenses we incur with bringing you these stories each week. So, enough of that. Thanks for joining us this week. And we'll see you next week for another Ohio Mystery. Until then, keep the fire burning and happy camping. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.